Well, good morning, and uh, I bring greetings to you from your sister school at Southeastern in Wake Forest, North Carolina. Please know we pray for you regularly, and uh, we rejoice in all the many, many, many good things that the Lord is doing here uh, at Midwestern Seminary. Uh, I have so many friends here. Uh, Dr. Allen and his wife Karen are dear to my wife Charlotte and me. Uh, many of your administrators and faculty members have been close friends for a long time, and so I just want to say uh, you're in a very good place uh, under wonderful leadership and instruction, and so take full advantage of that while you have these particular years uh, in terms of your preparation for ministry. I want you to take your Bible this morning and join me in the book of Romans, the 15th chapter. Romans chapter 15, and we're going to give our attention to verse 14 down through verse 24. Romans chapter 15, verse 14 through verse 24. This is the word of the Lord. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But, some translations have the word nevertheless, on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. Now, let me just stop right there. The word Gentiles is the word ethne. Uh, It is the word that in the Great Commission text of Matthew chapter 28 is translated nations. I like that better. Uh, I think that communicates uh, more clearly today Uh, what Paul was getting at and what Paul was trying to say. So for the remainder of my time, anytime you see the word Gentiles, uh, you'll hear me use the word nation. So verse 15 again, but on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the nations in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the nations may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the nations to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem... And all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, and here he will quote from Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 15, part of that classic uh, suffering servant song that we know best as Isaiah 53, though it actually starts in chapter 52. Those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you, but now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain." and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. The title of my message this morning is this, Are You a Great Commission Christian? 
And yet as I was reflecting on the passage again this morning, I recognized I could have given it a second title. Where are the men when it comes to fulfilling the Great Commission? Several years ago, after having been on the mission field, in particular visiting Southeastern Seminary students and graduates and others from our seminaries, I began to notice something uh, too obvious to ignore, and that is this. There sure seemed to be a much larger proportion of women on the mission field than there were men. And of course, I recognized that I could be wrong in my observations and assessments, so I did a little investigating. And in the year 2009, 10 years ago, I contacted the International Mission Board, and I said, I'm just curious, can you give me the the breakdown in terms of journey girls and journey men on the mission field? And they said, well, we've never had anybody ask that before, but we can go looking for you. And they did, and they found the data for me. And so in 2009, uh, we had 331 journey girls on the mission field, but we had 126 journey men uh, on the mission field, Uh, two and a half times more females than males. And let me quickly add before I go, unless you misunderstand me this morning, I am very grateful. In fact, I I rejoice tremendously uh, for every lady, every woman that God in His grace has called out and sent uh, to share the gospel and to minister among the nations. Then a few years later, in the year 2012, I again decided I wanted to just find if anything had changed, and I changed my question a bit, and I said, well, I'm curious in this context, how many single men and how many single women, so that would include journeymen and journey girls, but also beyond that, how many do we have on the international mission field today? And I was informed that we had 533 single women and 167 single men. And then last Friday, in preparation for this message, I again contacted the International Mission Board. Uh, I talked with Clyde Metter, and I said, I'm just curious, as of this particular time, knowing that we have cut back in recent years because of the financial crisis at the IMB, uh, but I'm just curious, where are we today in September of 2019 when it comes to the journeyman program? And he wrote me back and he said, well, this is what I discovered. We have 169 journey girls on the field and we have 61 journey men on the field. Two and a half times, almost three times as many women as we have men. And so I fear that within the Southern Baptist Convention, and certainly within evangelicalism at large, though we talk a lot about the Great Commission, we're not doing really a good job in obeying the Great Commission. And in fact, several years ago, Southern Baptists went through a debate, it went nowhere, uh, where we talked about changing the name of the Southern Baptist Convention to something else. And uh, eventually we came up with, well, we can't change the name, it'll be too expensive, but we could add to it uh, another nomenclature, another moniker, and we said that we could be called the Great Commission Convention. But my question is not will we be called the Great Commission Convention, obviously that went nowhere, but the question is will we be a Great Commission Convention of churches. Will we talk about it or will we actually do it? 
Well, in Romans chapter 15, Paul gives us a pattern for what a Great Commission Christian, what a Great Commission church, what a Great Commission convention of churches would look like and where their priorities would be and how they would approach the life of the church and the life of ministry. And so I'm going to walk through them very quickly. Uh, we could spend several days, I think, unwrapping all of this here, but I'm going to make quick, uh, quickly six observations from the text that I think characterize those who really do have a heart and a passion to be obedient to the final marching orders of Jesus. Number one, Great Commission people will keep their focus on the most important thing while still doing many good things. They will keep their focus on the most important thing while still doing many good things. Look at what Paul says there in verse 14. I myself, he actually uses an intensive form there. I myself am satisfied about you, you uh, brothers, my brothers, that you yourselves are. And what Paul notes is, now remember, Paul's never been to the church at Rome yet. But he has received a report about the church at Rome, and he begins by saying, I'm very hurt, uh, encouraged and very pleased with what I hear because I understand that you yourselves are, number one, full of goodness. Uh, you are doing many, many, many good things. Secondly, you're filled with all knowledge, and I think in particular, he has in mind the knowledge of the gospel. This was a gospel-centered, gospel-focused people. Their theology was right. So they are full of goodness, they're filled with all knowledge, and they're even able to instruct or to admonish or to correct one another. And so Paul begins by saying, I hear of the many good things that you are doing. But verse 15, but nevertheless, on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. In other words, I'm not telling you anything new. I'm just simply trying to remind you of something that for whatever reason, you may have forgotten. For whatever reason, something that really should be at the top of your agenda has been dropped down to lesser importance. So I write to you very boldly, by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God in order that I would be, and I think he would extend that by application, that we would be ministers of Christ Jesus to the nations in the priestly service of the gospel of God. Several years ago, I served on what was called the Great Commission Resurgence Task Force, and in that year's period of time, we studied our entities, our agencies. We looked as best that we could at state conventions and churches. And you know what we discovered about Southern Baptists? Southern Baptists don't do bad things. We, we don't. Southern Baptists do good things. In fact, Southern Baptists, as a convention of churches, do many, 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 many good things. But here's my fear. We can get so busy doing many, many, many good things, we actually neglect the most important thing. And the most important thing, according to Jesus, and the most important thing, according to Paul, is that we would have a passion to get the gospel to the nations. In particular, as he will say later, to get the gospel to those who as of yet never heard the name 
of Jesus. Now, it's good for us to do a little missiology this morning. And so again, as I was preparing this morning, I got on my iPad, went to the Joshua Project, which by the way, I would commend to you because every day uh, the Joshua Project will send you an unreached people group that will give you information about them, who they are, where they are, how few believers are there. And you can pray every day for a particular unreached people group by just taking advantage of that particular website. So I went to their main page just to get some updated data, and here's what I discovered. Today, world population, approximately 7.67 billion people. 7.67 billion people. That, by the way, is made up from 17,097 people groups. So in the world today, 17,097 people groups. 7.67 billion people. Now, here are the two major questions. Number one, how many are unreached and what is that number? And here is the staggering information that you'll find there this morning. Today, there are more than 7,000, actually 7,148 unreached people groups in the world. And when you add all of that together, You're talking about 3.19 billion people, not quite half the world's population, 3.19 billion people that have either no access to the gospel whatsoever or very limited access to the gospel, which means what? Even today in the year 2019, with all of our resources, with all of our money, with all that we have available to us, There are still places in the world where you and I could go, be dropped by a helicopter or a parachute, hit the ground, start walking, and we could walk days and weeks and months. We would never see a church. We would never even meet a Christian. And brothers and sisters, if the Bible is true, and we believe that it is, That means there are billions of people in the world today. They will be born. They will live. They will die. They will go to hell. And they never even one time heard a clear presentation of the gospel. I have to believe that is unacceptable in heaven. And I have to believe it ought to be unacceptable to you and to me. I love what the great Baptist theologian Carl F.H. Henry said. He reminds us the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. And so I believe a great commission people will focus on the most important thing while still doing many good things. Number two, great commission people will see the ministry of bringing the nations to Jesus as offerings of worship to the triune God. Look at what Paul says again there in verse 16. Start with verse 15. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the nations. Now look at what he says, in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the nations may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. 
In other words, Paul understood that, yes, we should give our financial offerings to the Lord as an act of worship, and we most certainly should, but we should also be passionate about presenting to the throne of grace the nations also as an offering to our God. Now, again, I believe such a way of thinking grows naturally out of a good healthy biblical theology of how God sees the nations and therefore how we ought to see the nations as well. In fact, let me just deal with this issue for a moment. A lot of times in certain people's minds, there is this dichotomy that exists between theology on the one hand and missions on the other. And you have some people that will say, well, you know, my calling is to basically deal with biblical studies and theology, and there are the others over here who do the evangelism and who do the missions and so on. And let me say to you, there's nothing biblical about that at all. That is a false dichotomy, because when you look at the Bible, you discover that the great theology of the New Testament emerged out of a missionary context. Just say it this way. The Apostle Paul, who I do believe was the greatest Christian missionary who ever lived, was also the greatest Christian theologian who ever lived. And Paul was a missionary before he became a writing theologian. And so I think we need to understand that the right kind of theology that grows out of the Bible will always lead us to have a passion for the nations and a passion for the Great Commission. So if you simply sit around uh, in a library or sit around somewhere in your home in front of a computer with books stacked everywhere, and by the way, I I taught theology for 12 years before I ever moved over to preaching and hermeneutics. So I love theology. I can't imagine any Christian uh, loving God well with their mind unless they also think well theologically. But if you are thinking theologically in categories that cause you to sit on your backside and do nothing, you've got a deficient, poor, unbiblical theology. So theology that is rightly grounded in Scripture is going to compel us to get about the business of worshiping our God as we bring the nations to his throne as an offering sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Number three, I believe a great commissioned people will always be a Christ-centered people who boast only in Jesus and never in themselves. Look at what Paul says down there in verse 17. In Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. But then it's like he said, well, wait wait a minute. I I need to clarify what I mean by that. What I mean is I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the nations to obedience by word and deed and by power, by the power of signs and wonders, and by and also by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, I agree with the great missionary Henry Martin. Henry Martin was a wonderful missionary, uh, first to India, then to Persia. God, in His mysterious providence, took him at the age of 31. Uh, but Henry Martin was a prolific journaler, and Henry Martin said this: "The Spirit of Christ." is the spirit of missions. The nearer we get to Jesus, the more intensely missionary we become. 
And I think he's absolutely right. The spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions. The nearer we get to him, the more intensely missionary we will become. You know, if we were to be honest this morning and we would reflect upon what most people think of when they think of Southern Baptist, I don't think we would be very happy with most of the answers that we would get, certainly from the the lost secular world. And, of course, you could come back and say, well, they don't understand us. Well, I don't disagree with that. But that doesn't mean that we haven't said things and done things and acted in ways that uh, did not give them a certain impression about who we are, uh, how we think, uh, what's important to us. But wouldn't it be great, even if they were to violently disagree with us, and I think they would, but wouldn't it be great if people that knew us and got to know us and actually paid attention to us said, well, you know what? That is the most Jesus Christ-like people I think I've ever seen. I don't agree with them. But my goodness, when I see them do what they do and when I hear them speak the way that they speak, they make me think of Jesus. I would long for Southern Baptists in particular to be known as a Jesus Christ convention of churches. I long for my own life to be known as someone that, if you say anything about Danny Aiken, you you can certainly say this, he sure has a love and a desire for his Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe Henry Martin is right. The nearer we get to Jesus, the more missionary-minded we are going to be. Number four. Great Commission people never lose sight of the centrality of the gospel. They never lose sight of the centrality of the gospel. I think all of you that have studied the book of Romans would agree with me that perhaps the theme of Romans is found in chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and his salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, to the nations. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed uh, from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. In our particular text, he acknowledges and makes reference to the gospel no less than three times. He says, for example, in verse 16, I am a minister of Christ Jesus to the nations in the priestly service of the gospel of God. Then again, in verse 19, he says, from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, verse 20, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Now, we are a hopefully gospel-centered people. You are hopefully a gospel-centered Christian. That's a big thing to say today. That's kind of the cool thing. I mean, what would be the opposite of that? Not to be gospel-centered? Well, nobody wants to say that. It's just like everybody says they're an expository preacher. Most of them are liars. Well, they're not liars. They're just confused because, they say, well, I'm an expository preacher. Well, when you listen to them preach, you're like, well, you don't like walk through the text. It's not a text-driven sermon. You don't walk through the verses and explain them. So, but everybody wants to be an expositor. Well, everybody wants to be Christ-centered today. Everybody wants to be gospel-centered. But let me ask you a question. Are, are we really clear on what the gospel is? And are we really clear 
on what the gospel is and what implications that flow out of the gospel are. See, every, today I, people say, well, this is a gospel issue. This is a gospel issue. This is a gospel issue. Listen, if everything is a gospel issue, then nothing is a gospel issue, okay? So we really, again, it's where theology is so important. We need to be clear and precise if we're going to be faithful to the text of Scripture. And I think sometimes in the past we were confused, and I think sometimes today we're confused. Several, several years ago, uh, in fact, it's now been over a decade, I was sitting in my office one day, and I got a phone call from a young man named Will Graham. Will Graham uh, is the grandson of Billy Graham, and he called me, and uh, he said, uh, hey, Dr. Aiken, uh, I was wondering, would you like to meet my granddaddy? And I said, uh, let me pray about that. Yes, Yes, I, 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 I would like to meet your granddaddy. I didn't pray about it. I, I just lied. I'm excused. Forgive me. Uh, you, there's some things you don't pray about. I mean, there just are. Um, about two months ago, I got a, a call from a former student, uh, just finished his PhD with me, and he's going to be the associate pastor at Grand Cayman Baptist Church. And he called and said, Dr. Aiken, would you be willing to come down to Grand Cayman uh, for a week and, and speak at our church? Uh, and I said, yes. <laughs> he said, do you need to talk to your wife? I said, no, I do not need to <laughs> talk to my wife because I can already tell you what her answer is as well. So there's just some things you don't need to pray about. So I didn't pray about it. I said, yes, I'd like to meet Dr. Graham in God's good providence. A couple of weeks later, went up, spent a couple of hours in his home. He was wonderful in every conceivable way, just precious. I just fell more in love with him. But while we were there and asking him questions, I said, Dr. Graham, I've heard you say for, for years that you believe on any given Sunday those that are actually in a church building, you believe that 50% of them are probably lost and unregenerate. Do you still believe that? And I'll never forget what he said. Because he looked at me and he said, no, I don't believe that anymore. I believe the number is much higher. And I said, why do you say that? And he said, because they have not heard and have not believed the gospel. And so, brothers and sisters, if we're going to take a message to the ends of the earth, we've got to make sure that we've got it right, right here at the source. We've got to make sure that we communicate with crystal clear clarity both the profound mystery of the gospel, but also the very simple nature of the gospel that God sent his son into this world who lived a sinless, perfect life. And because he lived that sinless, perfect life, he did not have to die for his own sins, but out of great love and mercy and kindness and grace, he died for our sins. He paid the penalty of sin that we should have paid. We do not back off one whit from the doctrine of penal substitution. He died in our place. He paid in full the penalty of our sin. God gloriously raised him from the dead. And if you will repent of your sin and believe in what Jesus has done for you, God will save you. Now, that's the gospel. There are all sorts of implications that flow out of the gospel, but we need to make sure that we are clear about what the gospel is. I think I saw it most clearly several years ago when we were in the Sudan 
working in the southern part of the country, working among bivocational ministers who receive no salary whatsoever. They're all farmers. Uh, They're all poverty-stricken. At that particular time, they were in peace. Later, as many of you know, war broke out again. Most of them were sent away to a refugee camp in Uganda. Now, by God's grace, they're back home, rebuilding their churches that were burned to the ground, rebuilding their tukels that were burned to the ground. I think in particular of a man named Edward Dima. I think of another man that we simply call Pastor Sam. And you know what I learned from these brothers? I learned comparing what they've got to what we've got. Now, just stay with me there. Comparing to what they've got and what we've got. The person who has Jesus plus nothing actually has everything. And in contrast, the person who has everything minus Jesus has nothing. They have nothing when it comes to the things of this world, but I have never seen such happiness, such joy, such faith and trust in our sovereign God. And it's all because Jesus, they had discovered, really is enough. And that, my brothers and sisters, is at the heart of being faithful to the gospel. Number five, the Great Commission people are consumed to get the gospel to those who have never heard the name of Jesus. Look at what Paul says in verse 20. I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Drop down to verse 22. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you, but now, and this is an amazing statement, but now, Since I no longer have room, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I've longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now, this is a remarkable statement. You're filled immediately with questions. Paul, are you saying that everybody who needs to hear the gospel in those regions has heard the gospel? And Paul would say, I'm not saying that. Well, Paul, are you saying that all of the churches that need to be planted in this region have been planted? And Paul would say, I'm not saying that either. So then you would say, well, Paul, what are you saying? And Paul would say, what I'm saying is this, there is at least now a gospel witness there. But there are the other places. There's the elsewhere where there is no gospel witness. And God has placed within me a burning desire and passion that will not allow me to rest until I am a part of God's work to get the gospel to those places where as of yet, the name of Jesus has not been proclaimed. And folks, I sometimes hear the statement, well, the the light that burns the brightest afar is the one that burns the brightest close to the home. That that may be true, but I just know this. Uh, If your light is burning very bright right here, but it's burning next to nowhere, anywhere else, you're not a faithful Great Commission church. You're, You're just not. And if you take all of your mission's money and turn it back in on yourselves, you're you're not a Great Commission church. And again, I am a part of the Southern Baptist Convention, always have been, suspect I always will be. 
But again, I started doing a little snooping just in my own area, just around my particular seminary where we've got some really good, wonderful, faithful churches. In fact, five of the top sending churches in the SBC, five of the top sending to the international mission field are within 10 miles of Southeastern Seminary. And I'm grateful for that. But when I start looking at where they prioritize their ministries and where they prioritize the budgets, I got to be honest with you, I, I, I've been very, very disappointed at uh, the very meager giving to things called Annie Armstrong, Lottie Moon, Cooperative Program. And when I get in, get in, get in there and get in there and dig a little bit more, what, what I discover is in, in, in many of these churches, about 95% stays right there in that particular local church. Empty Tomb Inc. did a survey several years ago of evangelical churches at large, and we discovered on average, on average, for every dollar placed in an offering plate within a, in an evangelical church, two to three cents on the dollar ever leaves North America. That means 97 cents on the dollar stays right here in America. Brothers and sisters, it ought not to be so. And therefore, we are consumed to get the gospel to those who have never heard. And then finally, Great Commission people see themselves as a missionary people with each one doing their part to see the mission completed. Paul says in verse 24, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now, I want to be clear here as I close. Charles Spurgeon said, every Christian is a missionary or they are an imposter. I think Spurgeon's right, but I want to make sure we rightly understand what Spurgeon meant. Spurgeon did not expect everybody to go to the nations. That's not possible. Somebody's got to be back home to raise the funds to send them. As, as Carrie and Fuller dialogued, Carrie said, you know, I'll go down if you'll hold the rope. So we need people that will go down, and we need more people that are willing to go down. Right now, for example, we know, I'm just quoting the president of our International Mission Board, we have enough money to send more than we have wanting to go right now. So yes, we hit a crisis back several years ago. We fixed that under the time of David Platt. Now there's money there, but they're not bodies to go. Kevin Ezell will tell you, I've got money to send church planters. I've got more money than I've got planters. So some of you, like right now, really need to start asking the Lord, Lord, not should I go, but Lord, why should I stay? The funds are there for me to go, all right? God doesn't call everybody to go, but God calls everybody to pray for the nations. God calls everybody to give and to give sacrificially to reach the nations. I believe God calls churches to give and give sacrificially to reach the nation. And my experience has never been changed in any way. God always honors and blesses those churches that approach the Great Commission in that kind of a way. 
John Falconer, again, a wonderful missionary that God took early in his life, a missionary to Yemen. He's buried there today. John Falconer said this, and I close with this, I have but one candle of life to burn out, and I would rather burn out in a land filled with darkness than a land flooded with light. Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary students, soon-to-be graduates, I pray with all of my heart that God might thrust you out, not into places flooded with light, but in places flooded with darkness. God has people there that he wants to bring to himself. May he, by his amazing grace and glory, use you to do that very thing. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this seminary, for its faithfulness to the gospel, its faithfulness to the word of God. I thank you, Lord, for its love for the church. And I thank you for the wonderful men that lead this institution, the wonderful women that come alongside and serve as well. And Lord, I do pray that from this student body, you might raise up men and women who are willing to go to the very hard places, both here in North America and around the world, to go to those places where darkness is so thick, Lord, it almost seems like there's no hope, and yet we know the gospel is the light that the darkness cannot overcome. And so, Lord, we have the promise that you will go with us, We even have the promise of your word that you've already prepared the place where we're going because your word is true. There is going to be in heaven people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation gathered around the throne worshiping the Lamb. So, Lord, you have promised that you're going to do that. You give us the opportunity to be a part of what you're doing. So, Lord, may we indeed, till we take our final breath, have an all-consuming passion for the things that matter most to you making disciples of all the nations, knowing that we have your promised presence every step of the way until the end of the age. What a great God you are. What a great commission you have given us. Lord, as we worship you and adore you, may we bring indeed as offerings of worship the nations to your throne because you died for them. You loved them. You want them to be yours. All this we pray for your glory, Lord Jesus. Amen.